If your week hits a low point, I would like to encourage you to do something that would be an interesting social experiment. Go to Starbucks and don't order a double frappuccino, skinny, latte, you name it. Don't order a blended frappuccino raspberry. They can handle that. Instead, walk up to the counter and say, I'd like a large black coffee. <laughs> Just look at the expression on their face. I can guarantee you it'll completely throw them off and it will make your day. Now, I remember Starbucks back when they only had one shop. I lived in Seattle at the time and they had their one shop in Pike's Plates Market. And since then, Starbucks has become this amazing worldwide phenomenon. And there's a lot to be said for that. We all have our preferences. We all know how we like our coffee. And Starbucks is doing their best to appeal to as many consumers as possible. That's a good thing for Starbucks. But it's a temptation for the church. It's very easy for the church to become Starbuckized, to give in to Starbuckanization. <laughs> I had to have a cup of coffee to make that word up. <laughs> it's easy for us to come to worship and say, I know what I want. I want the caffeinated scripture, a vanilla sermon with a shot of tradition. Or it's easy to come to worship and say, I want some worship chino with a double shot of praise. <laughs> it's easy for worship to become about our preferences. It's easy to come to church and say, this is what I want. This is how I experience God. This is what I need. This is what worship is to me. It's easy for us to become Starbuckanized in the name of trying to reach as many people as possible and to begin to see that as our ultimate purpose. In fact, this summer, for a series of weeks, we had worship focus groups. And I thank each of you who were a part of that, over 70 people came and talked about how they experienced God and, and what worship means to them. And yes, people talked about their preferences, what they like and enjoy in a worship service. It was a powerful experience for us, not so much because we learned about all the different preferences, because there are lots of different preferences. Right here this morning, there's lots of different preferences. What we learn from our worship focus groups, however, is where our focus needs to be. And where our focus needs to be is on the worship, not of our preferences, but on God. <laughs> that is the real calling. The worship of God. The reality is God is revealed in as many ways as there are people. 
God is just as present in Mozart as in Motown. The calling is to experience that presence. Even beyond experiencing it, to worship that presence. To do anything less is to worship worship rather than God. There's a subtle difference there. It's so easy to fall into the trap of worshiping worship and then to miss the point. Or not so much miss the point, miss the power, miss the person, miss God. In fact, our scriptures today talk about this whole idea of what it means to worship God. And as Scripture so often does, it uses two metaphors. Our Scripture in Hebrews today refers to two mountains. And both of these mountains represent an aspect of God. The first mountain described, it's not named, but it's mountains referring to, is Mount Sinai. The God of Mount Sinai is an awesome God, a holy God. As we worship that God, we come to God in reverence and holiness. A God who, in a sense, is beyond us, greater than us, a power beyond ourselves. When we worship the God of Mount Sinai, we worship the God who calls us to something bigger than we are to someone greater than our desires, wants, preferences, or even needs. This holy God. This mountain is balanced with another view of God, and that's the God of Mount Zion. This is the God who invites, who calls. This is the God who says, come and let me worship with you, soul to soul. This is the God of intimacy. So what we have is the God of transcendence, holiness, awe, and reverence, and the God of relationship, connection, and intimacy. It's so easy because of our preferences to worship one God and not the other. It's easy for us to worship the God of Mount Zion because that's so cozy and comfortable and it feels good. Or it's easy to worship the God of Mount Sinai because that God is explosive and powerful and loud and amazing and wonderful and awesome. The call here is to worship both gods, the God of transcendence and the God of intimacy, the God who seeks to meet us where we are and the God who seeks to call us further. One thing you'll notice as we continue to discover who God's calling us to be is that we're going to seek to include portions of our service that will bring us to both mountains, Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. To worship God, not preferences. To worship who God is. Now what happens is when we release ourselves to the worship of God, we find out that God, in response, begins a change in us. And this change can be described in a couple of ways. 
It's a change that begins to fill us and lead us to wholeness and completeness. It's also a change that transforms us. I'm part of a program called the Academy for Spiritual Formation, and I missed you last Sunday because I was in San Antonio as part of that program. And one of the things we're talking about over the next two years is how worship of God transforms us from the inside out what that looks like, how it forms us, how worship is actually a part of our spiritual formation and calling as people. One of the faculty for the program is Robert Morris, and he has some interesting things to say about worship. One of the things that he says is that worship really does feed us. So we worship God in response. God connects with us in a way that leads to nourishment of our souls and a way that answers our hungers. Here's some words from one of my faculty members, Robert Morris. I've come to believe that we're hungry for the touch of God's presence. Not only does our soul thirst, but our flesh faints for tangible contact with the living God, without which something in us is a dry and weary land without the water of life. We live in an overstimulated and under-spiritized culture where millions of people don't even engage in corporate worship. Our souls are starved and our bodies are edgy. Could it be that the widespread hunger for drug highs and the prevalence of alcohol abuse reflect efforts to feed another hunger, a real physical, emotional hunger to drink spirit? Research shows that attending corporate worship regularly is good for emotional and physical health. Could it be that God's presence is real food, nourishment for soul and body? We have so much. Our closets are overflowing. Our refrigerators are full. We have extra. We cram so much in. And yet it's easy for us to still hunger, to still thirst. Again, the temptation is to do the same thing in our worship services to fill them with content where there's no room for movement or silence. To make worship impressive, entertaining, dazzling. To draw on technology. The reality is most of us have been impressed enough during the week. We live in a culture that stresses excellence in so many ways. And I believe we are called to offer our best and excellence in worship. But I don't know about you, by the time I come to church, I don't want so much to be impressed, but to be changed. I want something personal, real, experiential, whatever that might be. And again, that comes by not so much focusing on what I personally want, but focusing on who God is is the God who satisfies us in places where we may not even realize we have a need. The God who knows our hunger even before we feel those hunger pains. The God who understands our thirst and says, come to me, all you who are thirsty, and I will nourish you and replenish you. Come to me, all you who are tired, and I will give you rest. Come to me. Worship is not so much to be a reflection of ourselves and our taste, 
but rather an experience of God. Robert Morris also talks about worship as being not just about filling the hungers, but beyond that, a place of empowering transformation. Real worship, deep worship, the kind of worship that engages heart and mind, changes the energy of the people worshiping because it changes what's happening deep down inside their souls. Worship changes people, really, it changes them right down to the muscle tone, biochemistry, and electromagnetism, opening the door to a manifestation of God's presence. Worship that occupies only the surface of the mind may be sincere, and I'm sure that God honors it. Yet group worship that comes from the depths so that souls are united in one mind and one heart can lead to transformation of both the individual and the group. Transitory wants and values are transformed to the unshakable realm of God's presence. Grumbling is transformed to gratitude. What really matters comes into focus. Mm. That scripture refers to the unshakable realm. It is the place of transformation. It's the place where God's power empowers us, transforming. Scripture refers to how values might change, how preferences might change, but it points to the one value that doesn't change, and it's the unshakable realm of God, the place where God dwells, the transforming place. Our desire as a congregation, as expressed really through the conversation we've been having over the last several weeks, is to get our focus back where that focus belongs, on the worship of God. One thing that we unintentionally did in our desire to reach as many people as possible is to undercut one of the greatest strengths of this congregation, which is our diversity. By creating services that appealed to one taste or another, we cut ourselves off from the opportunity to be surprised by what God wants to do in a musical selection that might not be our natural preference. So in coming weeks, one thing we will do is to work more and more to be diverse, to see how God speaks from Mount Zion, but also Mount Sinai, to learn from each other, to learn from God, and to grow together and at the heart, to find that place of nourishment, that place of transformation, and that one who calls us to the unshakable realm of life with God. If you're comfortable, take the hand of someone nearby as we go to our God in prayer. God of grace and God of love, God of the unshakable realm, help us to simply worship you, to see your face, to know your heart, to listen to your call, Help us to be ready to be surprised by you in what you seek to do. May our worship honor you, our creator, lover of our souls. Jesus Christ, giver of grace, have mercy on us as individuals. Jesus Christ, giver of grace, have mercy on this your church. Jesus Christ, giver of grace, have mercy on your world. And hear the prayers of your people who pray. Amen.